BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Make It Kind. M I P with Masamela Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, you really gonna enjoy today's show. There's a new book out, and it is quite is assistant professor of philosophy and religion at the American University in Washington, D.C. His research explores the varieties of black religious experience, especially as they are lived on the margins of power and outside the bounds of established institutional authority. So he's right up my alley, folks. Uh, And we get to talk a little bit about spirituality today for a change. Mm -hmm. His first book, you all may have heard of it, Black Gods of the Asphalt, Religion, Hip Hop, and Street Basketball. He was a ball player himself. It garnered national praise, the book did, as a profound narrative of survival and self-determination in this season where black male bodies are under attack. The New York Times called that book Street Basketball Functions as an Outlet of Mourning and Healing of Urban Youths. Boston Magazine called it Painful, Beautiful Nonfiction as well, he's been interviewed by all the major media, and it was long listed. Black Gods of the Asphalt was long listed for the 2017 Penn ESPN Award for Literary Sports Writing and named one of the Boston Globe's best books of 2016. My guest also uh, is a graduate of Boston University, where Dr. King learned. We're happy to have with us, and we're going to talk about his latest book. Again, can't wait. Take back what the devil stole, Dr. Onaje XO Woodbine. Dr. Woodbine, good to have you here, brother. How are you? Oh, wonderful. It's so great to be with you, Reverend. All right. It's a pleasure to have you and praying that you and yours are 
faring as best you can in this pandemic situation. Thank uh, you so much. And, and and the police demic, as I like to call it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, so so this is um, a, a story about a, a woman that you encountered. Um, Mm-hmm. And I think what we ought to do is just kind of turn it over to you to tell. This is a story about Donna Haskins, that's and right. that's right. And well, let me let me not spoil it. But you have you found her to be both a spiritual woman and a prophet, and that's how she's been able to navigate. That's right. Some of the things that black folk unfortunately have to navigate every single day in this. In, in Babylon. So right. uh, let's start there. Tell us how you came to meet her and how all this came to fruition. Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up in inner city Boston in Roxbury in the nineties. And, um, you know, at that, that decade, the, the amount of violence, the war on drugs, police brutality in, in that community, um, the everyday trauma was, was very difficult for for all of us to navigate and uh, the basketball court became this space for us to grieve friends family members who who died or were in prison as part of that war on the black community and there was a young man that later on when i came to really start to think about what we were doing on the basketball court in a theoretical and theological way, I met a young man named Jason. And Jason, his mother, you know, had gone through quite a bit of trauma. He was homeless. And basketball for him was, he called it like a maternal symbol. He would go to the court to try to connect with his great-grandmother's spirit. And he is the one who, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time working with him and talking with him about his struggles. And one day he mentioned this woman. He called her the lady of God. And he said that she had saved his life, that he, she had seen him one day when he was, his spirit was down and he was ready to give up. And she could see into his life. You know, she told him that he would be able to play basketball again, that he would, you know, recover from some things he was going through. And she literally saved him. So that was my first sort of thought that there was this woman in Roxbury who was an anchor for many of the young men in this community. And in the research of my first book, that I encountered that those kinds of things over and over again, that the, the theological ideas that many of the young men were expressing on the basketball court came from black women in this in this community. And so over time, he began to share that this woman was there was an ancestor, for example, that appeared that she embodied named Sally one day in front of him. And Sally spoke to him through her. And all of these kinds of things. And it it just really intrigued me that there was this woman living in the projects who, you know, had been through so much herself. And yet she was transforming the lives of so many young people. So I just had to meet her. And one day I just asked him, you know, Brother Jason, can I can can you, you know, introduce me? So that was sort of the genesis of the book and how I ended up meeting this 
this remarkable person. Looking at the cover of the book, is is that an image of her on the cover? Because it looks like Harriet Tubman. That is, that is an <laughs> image of <laughs> no, that 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 is an image of Donna, and actually, the cover is from one of her travels in what she calls the spirit world. You know, Donna lives. Donna conceives of the universe as sort of a multi-dimensional space. Mm. And it, for her, she she sees herself sort of entering different realms in time and space. And so that is an actual sort of image of one of her journeys. And if you look at the cover, there's a road, right, and behind her. And she calls that the road of time. And she thinks of herself as being able to enter in and out of time on behalf of folks in, in the community. How did she come by this spiritual power, Dr. Woodbine? Well, you know, she had spent the first four decades of her life thinking that she was less than human, that because of her gender, her race, that her body, the way that her body was perceived by men, you know, by this society, um, that, you know, she had reduced herself to something that I guess she would say outside of, of the human sort of race or outside of the human human relationships. And she got to the point where she was ready to commit suicide to just mm. end her life. Mm. And, um, you know, she decided to give one last shot and she visited a church, you know, Morning Star Baptist Church, a Black Baptist Church in, in Roxbury, um, pa pastored by Reverend Bishop Borders who was also a, a BU, spent some time at BU. And she, she, she went to church that day and, you know, she heard a sermon from Bishop Borders and Bishop Borders said, it was a very feminist sermon. You know, he said, if, if you know, men aren't doing you right, kick them to the curb. And she said she had never heard a pastor say something for, which for her was radical. And the interesting thing is, was the very first time she questioned her assumptions about herself in the world. You know, she sort of set aside the sort of natural attitude that she had in the world as a black woman sort of internalized in all of those negative stereotypes about what that means. And it, she just woke up, you know, and she went home, cleaned her house out and Interestingly enough, you know, she said she started to hear voices, you know, and later she would think of think of those voices as the Holy Spirit. But that sort of opened her up that just that one one sermon is something about preaching, I guess, for her that transmitted the word in such a way that she she was able to begin to transform her life. More MIP after this message. Go asks, how would you love a chance to save money on your insurance? 
Of course you would. After all, who wouldn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all of the things in your life, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners, condo, or renters coverage. You could save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use Geico mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And choosing to switch to Geico becomes an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. And you said she'd had a tough life up until that time. Consider committing suicide. I read too where um, she had some education challenges. It was believed, perhaps inaccurately, that she had some type of learning disability. A, a lot of a lot of us get that put on us, even if that's not real, right? Right. No question. Yeah. Did Did she have children of her own? Yeah. Yeah. She's she's got you know two beautiful daughters, and when she was very young, she was sexually assaulted, and she was pregnant as a result of of being assaulted mm. and she decided to get an abortion and you know it that that kind of trauma i mean it was right. devastating because she she thought she always wanted to be a nun as she, she grew up catholic and so she thought that being assaulted and having an abortion disqualified her made her dirty made her Sort of, um, you know, disqualified in the eyes of God. Yeah. And and so the really powerful thing about her and I, our relationship is the very first day we met. She told me that, you know, she thought that I she was my my mother in a previous life. And over the course of our conversations over four years, I came to realize that she in some ways saw me as the son that she would have had, you know, if she, if she hadn't had an abortion. And so we, our relationship became like a mother son relationship. And a lot came out in the course of that those four years of spending time together. Wow. Wow. That's, um, that's amazing. And so she is considered a prophet. Tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, she's, she sees herself in the spirit world. She communes with our spirits and our ancestors, correct? That is absolutely right. You know, Donna, Donna, her focus is on structural evil. Um, you know, structural racism, sexism, institutional racism, the prison industrial complex, the ways in which women are victimized on a daily basis. And for her, she sees these things not just as 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 evil, but as demonic. For her, and she she thinks she calls it the thing behind the thing. You know, you know, th- there's something behind these institutions that we may not necessarily be aware of. Even Howard Thurman, for example, talked about fear 
or hatred as demonic, you know, and Dr. King talked about war and racism, right, as demonic. So in some ways, she is thinking about these things, the shadows behind these institutions as existing in another kind of space. And so her role as a prophet is to bring light to, to these areas, to speak truth to these areas, um, and to battle, right? And to go to war with these things. And so, yeah, she does that by connecting with ancestral memory and a whole other host of gifts that she cultivates, you know, in her, she calls it her war room. She's got a, a, a room in her bedroom that she goes to, and she goes into this dimension on behalf of Black folks and marginalized and disinherited people. And so the, the community in which she's in, in Boston, do, and you mentioned the young brother, Jason, so do, yeah. do, the, do the people, the community, do they have access to her? Is she available to the community for, yeah. you know, with her power? Yeah, she actually, she walks the streets. And so, for example, you know, in our community, when somebody's killed, there's always a makeshift shrine. Yeah. You know, on the corner. And Donna will show up at these shrines and huh. she will see, for example, a young man grieving and the inner turmoil that comes along with the loss of somebody. For Donna, she interprets that turmoil as the restless energy of the dead person. She sees the dead person who has not been properly grieved and sent to the ancestral world as causing more turmoil amongst the living. And so, you know, she'll talk about the ways in which that energy is disturbing that person, causing the continued cycle of violence in the community. And so she will go up to that person and counsel them and say, hey, you know, I know you're thinking about getting revenge. I know you're thinking about killing whoever hurt, you know, or killed your friend, but that's not the way to go. And then she will also try to usher that restless spirit into the light to create harmony between the living and the dead. So she's a mediator between worlds in that sense. You know, we often think about the cause of structural violence in our communities as this history of slavery that's come on down and so forth. Right. Madonna sees all of that, but there's an extra dimension that she is working in in addition mm. to the, the political and the social. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling that myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> am, am I correct in saying that part of her spiritual piece is drawn from, you said she was went to this Baptist church. That's right. But then there's some Afro-Caribbean religious tradition That's right. in her as well. Tell us, tell us about that and how all that comes together. Yeah, so it's really, and she's, She's a great example of multi-religious belonging. You know, she has Catholic influence, Black Baptist and Afro-Caribbean traditions. And her, her religious grammar, she pulls from language from all of these traditions to live in this really complex world. 
And it, it's fascinating to me because, as you say, she doesn't really, she has an eighth grade education. She's non-literate in many ways. And yet she has such a rich theological understanding of, of the world, right? And she lives in that world. And one of the really interesting things is the tensions between her Afro-Caribbean roots and her Christianity. You know, on the one hand, her Christian the theology frames the body as something um, that takes us away from God, that the world is wrapped up in sin, right? And to achieve salvation or her connection with the divine, she needs to, in some sense, escape the body. And I think also her experience of repeated sexual assault, right? The, the idea that the body, right, is somehow a part of that, that evil and that trauma. But her Afro-Caribbean roots, on the other hand, sort of thinks about spirit as an embodied experience, as practice, right? The ancestors are here with us, the earth, the nature, the elements, the trees, the light and so forth are what in part, part and parcel of the sacred, of the divine. And so it's a real interesting tension in her life because her, many of her experiences are sort of out of body experiences where she travels to other dimensions. But on the other hand, you know, an Afro-Jamaican ancestor will jump into her flesh and start speaking, you know? Or, for example, in her identity in the spirit world is child of light. And so she has a, a elemental theology, light. For, she called me a tree of wisdom. I've never heard a Christian talk about someone as a tree or, you know, a light or she, other people right. I've seen her. She calls right. someone a water, a river or so forth. So she's really interesting. And it's all based in experience, her experience. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not that she's a she's an apprentice without a master. She's not wow. getting getting this from doctrine and so forth. This is what she perceives herself to be witnessing on a daily basis. That's so powerful. What Dr. Woodbine do and I'm hearing her story, mm -hmm. particularly the, the traumas that she experienced and her metamorphosis from mm -hmm. darkness to metamorphosis to light. Yes. Yeah. What would you want your audience to get from this book? Is it simply to show how we as African people can overcome all of these oppressions and injustices we face daily or to the extreme? Is, is, is it an opportunity for some of us to ponder, consider, discern where we are? in relationship to our own ancestral spirits and maybe inspire some of us to, to, cause I, I mean, I, I wonder if God would only give or the creator would only give Donna this gift. I wonder if other, others of us mm. have it, but we don't know how to shut up and be still enough. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going enough, but, 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 you know, but just cause I'm listening to so like, yeah, I mean, I, there's a part of me that, um, that envies her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it doesn't it have that effect on you? No, I feel you. Yeah, yeah. You know, Howard Thurman, you know, the theologian, the, the mystic, Martin Luther King's mentor during the, the civil rights movement, he always talked about 
Nothing in your environment can determine the quality of your inner life, that that's a choice you make. And that to me is one of the most profound things that Donna embodies. Despite everything in her environment, poor education, sexual assault, health issue, I mean, just all of the things this culture can do to Black bodies. And yet she carries herself with such dignity and grace. And it is, there is something about being rooted in that kind of memory that has the power to heal, to transform, and to navigate the worst kinds of injustices. So yeah, I guess for me, I would want folks to recognize that they're special people and sacred people in the worst of conditions. And we all have that capacity to be empowered to make that kind of change in our in our own lives. And the other thing I would say is that um, many of us look outside of ourselves for the answer to our condition. Donna represents somebody who turned within because for her the the social if we live in the social world and internalize it why not deal with your own problems within your own self as a method for changing the world because if you're able to change yourself right, or right, answer right. a problem inside yourself you'll naturally answer a question that other people have mm. you, know, you know what i mean yeah so she's just an example of our spiritual genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More MIP after this message. And and is a representative of power yeah. in a, an environment that intends for us to have no power. Wow. She has power. That That's what's amazing to me about this story. How is she, and you describe her as a prophet, obviously, so. Yeah. How is she viewed by others in the community? Let's say, you know, mainstream clergy and whatnot. How how do they perceive her? Do do they acknowledge yeah. her or what? Yeah, often, <laughs> oftentimes she's marginalized. You know, she's right. being crazy. Also, because she, also she's a woman, right? right. Mm. Uh, and she talks about she's not doing religion. She's doing Jesus. Mm, you know? mm, mm. <laughs> and so she's very critical of religious institutions. Gotcha. You know, she talks about being in the church and seeing folks come in and you got to dress a certain way and you got to look a certain way. And, you know, one of the, the places where there's, there's the most trifling things going on is the church in, in her eyes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she has mm. one foot in, one foot out. And she she really bows to no one. I mean, this this woman, I brought I brought a, a celebrity that I know to seek to visit her one day. And it was like he wasn't even there, you know, <laughs> because she truly. Her, she identifies with this other self in this other space. Right. It, right. She's just remarkable. She's dealing with some other celebrities. She's dealing with some other celebrities. That, that the rest of us can see. <laughs> right, that, that we can't see. And in fact, sometimes, you know, she'll just interrupt you mid-sentence and start talking to whoever else is in the room, you know. 
Wow. And, it, and, and, and the other piece that I love is she does not accept money for anything because she says to me, this was given to me for free. Why? Why would I? How can I charge for anything? And, and again, she lives in subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. She's she's on a, ve- a fixed income and will not accept a dime. Yeah. She she's a prophet. Has she been reported to perform any miracles? Well, I don't think folk the folks that she works with would call them miracles, but I think you, you can frame them that way. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. One of my favorite stories is of a woman who came to her. She had known this woman for a while, and, and this this woman could not have children, and it, it was devastating for. Her. She really wanted to have children. And so Donna entered the spirit world one day and she was in this in this room and she realized it was this woman's house. And she sees this woman on the bed with a, you know, her husband is is laying in the bed. She's sitting at the foot of the bed and there's a child running around. She's like, hmm, okay, this she's gonna have, she's gonna have a child, she's gonna get married, she's gonna have a child. And Donna's like, okay, I'm ready to go back into my body. I've seen what I needed to see to report back to this woman. And Donna can't get back into her body. And she starts panicking. And she's like, what am I going to do? I can't get back. I'm going to be stuck here. And then she just calms down and she tells the Holy Spirit, okay, you must want me to see something. Calm down. And she finds herself back in this woman's house. And there's a, a boy, a little boy there. And the boy... What really challenges me, the the boy sees her, sees Donna and freaks out, sees a ghost. Now, but this is happening in the future. But the future is present. It, it's She's a very weird understanding of time. And the boy freaks out and Donna says to the boy, you can see me. And the boy's, and the boy's calling his mother. And she's like, I got to go. I got to go. And she finally comes and she gets into her body. She's in the present now. And then she goes to this woman and she tells this woman, listen, you are going to have a child. You're going to get married and so forth. And the woman's like, Donna, I, I can't. I'm not been able to have children, this and that. A few years later, this woman moves. She calls Donna, Donna, have a daughter, have a son. And she named this child something akin to the word miracle like like you're saying it's the child's actual name and donna this has happened for so many i can tell you i right. i've seen donna do this with folks in the community just walking down the street with folks and change folks lives in this way amazing amazing yeah yeah that, that those are miracles those are miracles uh, <laughs> uh and and th- those those count those uh, count oh yeah and you know, some of y'all think only one institution can define what a miracle is. But in our context, we we have it. Does she know you wrote a book about her? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, <laughs> I mean, she cool with that because after that, <laughs> the people hear this and read this book, folk gonna try to go see her. And right. and, and right. like, I'm ready if you take me to see it. Right, right. Be honest <laughs> with you. So is she is she aware that she might be? And frankly, I'll just be honest with you. I even see a movie in here somewhere. I mean, this is an amazing story, especially with all the things we're facing as a people right now. They had his sister being a prophet and a miracle worker. Is, is she cool with that? I mean, she's probably about to get hit up yeah, big time. Yeah, you're right. There's something dangerous about the written word uh. and the way in which language, there's certain knowledge and experience that can't 
be reduced to language and words. And when you as a scholar are taking somebody's sacred experience and uh, reducing it to writing, there's a lot of risk that you do violence to that person's agency and meaning, especially a woman who is not literate herself. And that was a really interesting sort of thing, a challenge to work with. And how do I honor her experiences? And she wanted her experience to be shared for the benefit of others, but at the same time, not impose a, mo a scholarly model on her experience. And what we decided was this would be a collaborative ethnography. We would work together. And what that meant was not only working together throughout while I was writing, but at the, at the, when I had a draft, I read her for 48 hours. I read her the entire book word, word for word. And it was the most profound thing because she was in tears. I was in tears. At times, the, the spirit would come in and say to her, change that, that wasn't correct. And so it was a really interesting thing. Not only what did the book was created by her and I, but then there was the spirit that would speak, <laughs> you know? So at the end of this, it was the question of author authorship was a mess, became a messy question and mm. a really interesting thing. So, but yeah, she's very pleased with, with how everything, how it came out. And, you know, she just constantly tells me, you know, Najee, I don't want any praise. I don't want anything like that. If it helps others, then it'll be good it'll be in the eyes, eyes of the spirit. So that's sort of her motivation. That's incredible. Brother, this is an incredible work. I strongly encourage all of you to check it out and hopefully can provide some comfort, some guide, some help, some instruction. Yes. As we navigate the turbulent waters, we're still navigating every single day as an African people. And I'm also pleased to hear about her multi-religious experience because we as African people need that more than anyone. And this is us. We can't deny who we are. That's right. And, and we come from an experience of a people that knew God and knew creation. That's right. And knew ancestors centuries before that's millennia right. before that's right white man did that's all right. right and we cannot deny that and that's frankly whether we want to admit it or not is is i've always believed brother woodbine is it's not christianity that saved us mm. it's our reclamation mm. of a faith that the white man stole mm. from us mm. repackaged mm. it and called it christianity mm. um mm. but mm. our re reclamation of that faith mm. in conjunction with the other spiritual experiences our traditional african religions our afro-caribbean religions that we brought over here with us all of that that's right um that's and right. and this is this is a powerful piece so folks right. strongly recommend um you check out this great book take back what the devil stole mm -hmm. an african-american mm -hmm. prophets encounters in the spirit world uh, she's in boston she's on the ground that's right. There is nothing she's dealing with that you and I have not dealt with in some way, form or fashion. Mm, mm, uh, and we all know this. Mm. Uh, and maybe she can help us. And this book will guide us to even center ourselves and help ourselves. My guest has been Dr. Onaje XO 
Woodbine, congratulations on this, brother. And uh, thank you for your spiritual journey. This this in and of itself uh, is a spiritual offering offering to the world what you've written. So thank you, my brother. Thank you, Reverend Thompson, for having Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.